Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Calling Tau City, turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message. It was a little harsh, you know. It's still a little hard for me to hear. Please take it slow. Welcome to Starship Sofa, part of the District of Wonders network, featuring tales to terrify and far-fetched fables. Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. I'm tuning in to your transmissions. I'm hooning, waiting to be found. And I'm building rockets. I'm pointing them to the moon. This is the Starship Sova. Everybody, welcome. Hello and welcome to show 471. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone is fine and dandy. Tell you what's coming today, sure. First off, we have the main fiction, and it is by Kate O'Connor, intertwined. Then we have, at the end, our very own Amy H. Sturgis, with her looking back at genre history. Then, if you'll bear with me, I'm going to have a political rant. And I don't normally do that, man, but I just thought, you know what I mean? Uh, get up on stage, get myself on stage, yeah, and have a go. So that's what's coming in today, sure. Do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. So, first up is, like I say, it's the main fiction, and it is intertwined, intertwined, should I say, by Kate O'Connor, originally published in Intergalactic Medicine Show. After graduating from Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University, Kate O'Connor took up writing science fiction and fantasy. Her short fiction has appeared in venues including Intergalactic Medicine Show, Diabolical Plots, and Escape Pod. In between telling stories, she flies aeroplanes, digs up artefacts and edits an aviation magazine. And her website is kateoconnor3.wordpress.com. Get what cool jobs, man. Ho-ho. Story is narrated by Jen R. Albert. Jen R. Albert is an epitomologist, writer, editor, narrator, wife, dog, mum, game player, reader of all things, and a haver of too many hobby- hobbies for Toronto. She's a regular narrator at Escape Artist Podcast and is a co-editor of podcastle.org. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present... Intertwined by Kate O'Connor. She could feel each of the 37 other navigators again, glowing like supernovas in her mind. It was a relief to be reconnected to the quantum arc after nearly 10 minutes out of the system for a routine organic physical. Though downtime was rare, Sinet hated it. The quantum arc channeled her mind and energy out into space, entangling her with energy particles that bound together and became her. 
She drew in a grateful breath as the last twinges of connection to her organic flesh faded. The entirety of the cosmos was in front of her once again. Priority Class B transport from Procyon to Carina. Advise. Ready to engage. The message flickered at the corner of her vision. Sinet accessed the order, downloading the relevant information directly into her neural net. Her energy signature sparkled with anticipation. It was a standard run, but it felt like an eon since her last mission. She felt Joran's familiar presence beside her, rippling, multi-hued, excitement as he welcomed her back. She embraced him tightly, the weight of separation falling away. I missed you. Missed you too, he answered with a riot of bright energy bursts. She let the moment stretch before the insistent blinking of her NAF orders drew her attention away. Back to work, she told them both, disentangling herself from him and turning to trace potential pathways through the void. She flitted through the first half-million energy filaments that stretched across the galaxy, flashing between the ship and Carina in the space of an eye-blink. She slipped forward, down a likely-looking filament, only to run headlong into an impasse. Fragments and frayed filaments everywhere. I can't make it through from this angle. Sinet sighed a cool cyan plume. Relax. Jorn tugged her back with a fond, peach-colored amusement brightening his energy signature. Most of his attention was focused towards his own ship's destination, thousands of light-years away. You know how much more slowly time runs shipside. They probably haven't been waiting more than a minute or two. Thanks for the tip, she answered, laughing. For the record, I've still been here far longer than you. I should ask a tech next time I'm out. For all you know, we're only seconds apart, old lady. He spun around her in wildly colorful hyperboles. She grinned, remembering his first tentative steps among the stars. Even then, they fit together. He had learned quickly, refining his ability to exist in more places at a time until he was one of the best at it. It meant he was usually quite a bit slower to find a solid path than she was, but he could twist his way through the void when the rest of them were completely roadblocked. Sinet turned towards the next sector, still laughing as he finished his spin with a comet-like flare. Layer on layer of filaments spun out in front of her, and a flicker of violet heat caught her attention. She reoriented, falling and spinning through the waves of thundering energy until she caught up with it. A new pathway spilled open as she tangled with the trail. Got it, she called back to Joran. This path would take her and the ship through to Carina. Go, he answered. Come back soon. Sinet sent a go-ahead message to the control center. A half-second later, she hooked into the shipboard nav computer and wove herself around the little vessel. Holding her breath, she pulled out onto the pathway, bobbing and spinning until she found equilibrium, holding the ship steady in the center of the rushing current. A swooping, sinking sensation caught her off guard. She paused mid-flight, hanging motionless while she sent out a diagnostic inquiry. The link that connected her back to her physical body wobbled. For a moment, instead of stars above her, she was seeing faces. With a desperate flip, she yanked the ship out of the current, dropping it into calm space. Without her to guide it, it would be torn apart if she left it in the current. Abruptly, everything was gone. She was being crushed, jammed into a space that was too small, too tight. Joran! She triggered her emergency reboot with a thought. 
The quantum link sizzled and reignited. Sinet slammed back into the universe. What happened? Concern colored Joran's energy signature. She could feel him slowing his own journey as he turned back for her. Glitch. Signal failed. How long had it been since she dropped the ship? A full second? Two? That way. He shot the coordinates at her. That's where you were when I lost you. She tore down the pathway, using his data to fill the gap caused by the blip. She sent out bits of herself along either side of the trail, feeling for the ship. All she needed was one resonating particle, one tiny flicker of matter to catch hold of, and she would have the ship safely back in her grasp. You can do it. There was a moment's hesitation in his reassurance. He wouldn't have been able to make the grab. No matter how rare it was to be both genetically compatible and intellectually fit to be a navigator, there were maybe two of the 37 other navigators who traced their routes thoroughly enough to have a hope of catching a dropped ship. She had done it once before, when a meteor strike had ripped the ship she was towing out of her grasp. That time, the ship had never been out of her sight. She pushed herself faster. It had been 30 years since Central Nav had lost a ship, an eon in navigator time. She couldn't lose one after so long. There. She felt it. The ship was floundering, but the computer reported no casualties. She reconnected and jumped back onto the path. The link trembled against Sinet and locked her functions down to the most basic level. Her vision went gray. Something was badly wrong. She could barely feel Joran as he raced towards her. I've got it. He took the ship from her, his voice barely more than a whisper in her mind although his energy patterns told her he was yelling. I'm coming for you. There was a sickly yellow tremor in his presence that matched her own fear. He wrapped himself around her, trying to help her stabilize. For a moment, her energy signature steadied. Then she was slipping away from him as the comforting, familiar darkness bleached away to furious white. Joran was gone. She couldn't find him, couldn't feel him. Her breath rushed hard and frightened in her chest. The fine net of sensors and microscopic wires that wove through her body and mind into the quantum arc suddenly ended at her skin. She tried to reach out, grab hold of something, but her arms refused to move. Other than basic survival functions, her organic systems were offline. Sinet's skin began to tingle. One by one, the organic components of her brain re-engaged. She blinked, reintegrating organic and mechanical systems. The process was painfully slow. Her memory and processing power were operating at a fraction of their usual efficiency. They must have anesthetized her without shutting down her processing grid. She opened her eyes again. A woman stood next to the bed, smiling down at her. Welcome back. Back? Sinet blinked. She moved her numb lips, forcing words past them. What happened to me? The woman ignored her question. I'm going to help you sit up now. Would you like that? Sinet pulled her body upright. It was always strange to feel her muscles move around her skin, but the body movement programming that kept her organics functioning while her mind was in space still worked. Good. The woman reached for her, then pulled her hand back. How do you feel? Sinet sent an inquiry to the NAV network. There was no answering signal. She twisted on the bed, feeling sick. She needed to reconnect. The world was flat, her eyes trapped to a narrow band of color, her mind locked to one place and one time. 
She had never been completely disconnected before. The text always left the navigators a link to help them orient themselves. The woman was watching her, waiting for an answer. I feel blind, Sinette said finally. The woman's expression tightened. You'll be okay. I'll help you adjust. My name is Rose. Why was I pulled out? None of this followed any navigator protocols. I rescued you. Rose's face twisted. Sinette turned fully towards the other woman. Her chest hurt and she felt heavy. I want to speak with Joran. Joran would know what to say. He would stay calm and negotiate this unfamiliar territory with necessary amount of tact. Sinette shook her head. She wanted the powerful, weightless togetherness that the Ark provided for all the navigators. She couldn't do this alone. Who? Rose shook her head, continuing without waiting for an explanation. No, you, you need to listen for a minute. You never gave anybody permission to thread you into that damn machine. You were an embryo when I... when I donated you. Rose broke off, swallowing hard. She started again. I'm your mother. My mother? Sinette felt sick. Navigators didn't have an organic family. They flew through the stars together, far away from the organic world. I don't have a mother. She didn't need one, didn't want one. I was in a bad place when I gave you up. I tried the legal channels, but the courts ruled against me. Rose spoke without seeming to hear her. Navigators who survive the integration without the quantum arc are too valuable to be given back after the waivers are signed. Too few make it. Anger creased her face. It took almost everything I had to find you and get you out. Rose took Sinette's hands in hers. It's going to be all right, baby. I'm going to take you home. You kidnapped me. Finally, guessing what she was looking for, Sinette turned her concentration inwards. She thought her way down the vast web of cybernetic pathways that had once fused her into the Ark. It was worse than she had imagined. Whoever had disconnected her hadn't known what they were doing. The infinitely delicate connections were devastated beyond repair. She would never be close to anyone again, never share energy, never fly again. How could you? Her voice shook. How dare you? I had to. You deserve better than a half-life plugged into a computer, Rose answered, staring at her with fever-bright eyes. You have no idea what you've been missing. Give it some time, you'll see. Sinette closed her eyes, blocking out the other woman's face. Her heart hammered faster and faster against her ribcage. She wanted to go home. The air felt like acid in her lungs. Joran. She called on every frequency she had access to. Silence greeted her, as she had known it would. Sinette turned on the tablet and logged into Rose's net. She hadn't asked permission, guessing it wouldn't be granted without stipulations. After flying through most of the known galaxies, with the best of technology at her back, the internet was disappointingly slow and disorganized, but it had provided everything she needed to know about operating computer systems manually. A box popped up on the screen, asking for a password. She bypassed it and slid through a few more layers of central nav security. She knew the internal workings of their communication systems as well as her body knew how to breathe. 
Even from the outside, it was a simple thing to log in as a guest technician. It wasn't really much of a connection to the other navigators, but it was better than nothing. She knew they wouldn't be able to reinstall her body. There had never been a navigator pulled out like this before. Every diagnostic she could run on her own came back the same. She was too broken. She pulled up a dialogue box, then closed it again. How would she ever explain it to them? She pulled up the box again and typed, I'm here, Joran. I'm here. Chest tight, she sent it. The data stream continued on, unchanged. S-I-N-E-T-T-E The letters of her name flashed across the bottom of the screen, almost faster than she could see. Her hands clenched involuntarily. The pattern repeated. Joran? Her hands shook as she typed out his name. It had to be him. He would have been looking since the moment she had fallen out. Where are you? What happened? It's been so long. I thought I'd lost you forever. Sinette's chest ached with emotion. Time was so different in the Ark. For him, it would have been nearly an eternity of searching and grieving. She typed a few commands, making sure their conversation wouldn't be recorded. I'm sorry. The words looked so inadequate on the screen. I was kidnapped. By my mother. I thought you were dead. His response came immediately. She could almost hear him, his anger and longing reflecting her own. Are you all right? No, not really. She was going to have to tell him. What's wrong? They... They ripped me out. I'm broken. She couldn't feel him through the tablet. She needed to feel him, to have the comfort of a sympathetic presence wrapped around her. Could you tell Central? Maybe they can come find me. Sunette? I'm home. Rose's voice came from the front door, barely registering as Sunette stared intently at the screen. He was silent for several seconds. I'm not sure that's the best idea. What? That was ridiculous. She could do it herself, but it would be less painful to have him explain. It was one thing to tell him about the violation of being torn out and the fear it had brought. It was something else again to tell Central. He was silent for nearly ten seconds. What will they do if they can't reconnect to you, Sinette? Even with just the tech in your organic body, you're too valuable to be let go if they can't fix you. What are you doing? Rose appeared in the door. Talking to Joran. Sinette didn't bother to look up as she typed. Her hands were trembling. She hadn't thought about that aspect at all. I don't want to be trapped. Who? Rose sounded puzzled. My lover. She missed how easy it was to communicate with the other navigators. Words were too small to mean everything she wanted to say. The colors and textures of intertwined energy that let them know each other inside and out seemed an impossible lifetime away. You can't have a lover. Rose's voice was flat. Why not? There was another brief pause before Joran answered. 
She could almost feel him tracing down pathways, looking for options, discounting impossibilities, no matter how comforting. I won't leave you stuck there. We'll think of something. You've been with me since you were disconnected. Rose leaned over Sinet's shoulder and studied the tablet. Before that, Sinet corrected her, eyes still on the screen. In the Ark? Rose sat on the edge of the bed. Yes. You have the wrong word. Rose's hands twisted together in her lap. You were a piece of the network. A lover is someone you are close to physically as well as emotionally. I mean, I'm sure you messaged each other, but it's not the same. It's the right word. With a few notable exceptions, I'm fond of the other navigators. With him, it's always been different. Memory flared. When we were together, we were part of each other. Sinette smiled, though it felt gray and brown as it tangled in her mouth, as much pain as joy. It is blissful. I love you, she told him. It's not possible, Rose repeated. I'm sure the network doesn't allow for that kind of interaction. We don't use messages to communicate. They're too slow. Sinet cut her off with a furious gesture. Our bodies are separate, I suppose, but with the quantum system, our energy is everywhere. I can touch him as easily as I can touch this tablet. Love you, too. Jorn's words were a lifeline. She hated that she couldn't feel the red-gold heat that accompanied those words, the solid, silvery steadiness of his devotion and respect. Forever. I belong up there. Sinette looked up at Rose. I belong with him. I don't know how yet, but I'm going back. You belong here. You're more than just a computer program, Sinette. Rose folded her arms across her chest, knuckles white as she clutched her elbows. There are so many things you haven't experienced. How can you know what you're giving up? What did they do to you that made you so afraid to try? I need him. It was more than that. It wasn't just Joran. It was sight and sound and waves of energy. It was the scope of the universe as she soared across the galaxies. She wasn't afraid. She was homesick. You want what's familiar. I understand that, but you don't need him. Rose's face was stony. I don't want you talking to him anymore. You only make the transition worse for yourself. Sinette shook her head. He loves me. They all do. Please. Rose stood slowly. You can't go back. Even if you want to, you'll be happier if you can accept that. Sinette stayed silent. Until she tried everything she and Joran could come up with, there was nothing to accept. Rose knelt beside her, covering Sinette's tight clenched hands with her own. I love you, you know. Central Nav doesn't want you to know what it's like out here. They would rather you stay naive enough to never question the decisions they make for you. You are a person, Sinette. Don't you want to know all of what that means? Sinette's face fell hot, and she clutched the tablet even more tightly. She stared hard at Rose's face. Their eyes met. Even without visible energy, she could feel the connecting pulse between them. Her mother really did love her. Slowly, she unclenched her hand. 
Rose took it. Zanette added another layer of vegetables to the salad. Though it was a far cry from intravenous nutrient solution passing through her system, she loved the warm, delicious smells of the kitchen. Cooking was new and different. It was a challenge for her still clumsy fingers, and her mind clung desperately to the complex chemical formulas that yielded nutritious, good-tasting sustenance. Behind her, Rose stood at the stove, humming under her breath as she added a splash of wine to the sauce. Zanette smiled. Working together felt right. It was one of the few similarities between this place and home. She chopped a cucumber with slow, measured strokes. Pleasant or not, she still wanted to go back. No, she needed to go back. As far as she could see it, her body was the source of the problem. It was the peace holding her here. If there was some way she could take her organic form out of the equation, getting back might be possible. The tip of the knife skidded across the vegetable's slick surface and sank into the tip of her finger. She yelped, dropping the knife and staring as a line of crimson welled from the split skin. It's okay, Rose appeared at her shoulder. She took Sinette's hand in hers, examining the wound. Sinette's finger throbbed. The blood kept coming in brilliant ruby droplets, little bits of her scattered on the floor. Her head spun and her stomach turned over. Take a breath. Rose looped an arm around her waist. Look at me. Sinette did. Rose took a breath and Sinette found herself copying it. Rose exhaled and Sinette did the same. The spinning sensation faded a little. Good girl. Now let's get you patched up, okay? It's not so bad. Just needs a little attention. Rose led her to the bathroom and sat her on the edge of the bathtub. In no time, the cut was clean and sealed. There you go. Rose kissed the tip of the newly bandaged finger. All better. Thank you. Sinette studied her hand. Theoretically, she had known how easy it was to cut through organic skin. The practical experience was worse than she would have thought. It's nothing, Rose smiled. A mother's job. Sinette tilted her head to better see the other woman. Why did you give me up? It made no sense, given how much Rose seemed to care for her. If you want me so much now, why not at the beginning? It's complicated, Rose turned, moving to put away the first aid kit. Sinette wanted an answer. As complicated as interstellar physics? Rose sighed, shoulders slumping. I worked in the labs at Central Nav. My job was growing the genetically modified embryos that were donated to the program until they were strong enough to be fused with the machinery. A deep frown twisted Rose's mouth. Most of the embryos are too weak to survive the fusion process. I could usually tell which ones wouldn't make it. It didn't bother me at first. The cost of doing amazing things is always high. When I got pregnant with you, well... Let's say it was something of a paradigm shift. I realized far too late, perhaps, that they weren't just experiments. They had the potential to be people. Rose leaned on the edge of the sink, clutching the porcelain tightly. I started sneaking the high-risk embryos out and giving them to people looking for children, people who might not be able to get them in other ways. It was illegal and against every contract I signed, but each death seemed like yours. They caught me, of course. Rose stared at the floor, speaking softly. Nothing like that can stay a secret forever. 
Your father left me, and I was facing a long time in jail. They offered me a deal, all under the table, mind you. There isn't any record of it. They agreed to drop the charges if I gave you to the program. Why? Sinet barely believed what she was hearing. Embryos donated to the NAV program were supposed to be free and clear. No compensation of any kind was offered to the parents. It was supposed to be a place for unwanted children to have a chance at useful, productive, even extraordinary lives. So few of the donated embryos came from a good place. Most came from parents who don't think they'll be able to raise children. The embryos often have complications from maternal drug use or who knows what else. Rose shook her head. With my genetic profile and health, there was a greater chance of success. Your father agreed immediately. Flying among the stars was the best life he could imagine for you. I hated him for that. In the end, I was tired. My lawyer didn't believe there was any other way out, and your father was hounding me to agree to it, so I gave in. Rose put her face in her hands. I'm so sorry, Sinet. I should have fought harder for you in the first place. Maybe then we could both have the lives we deserved. Sinet got to her feet, her hands shaking. Was this how Central Nav operated? Stealing children away? What about Joran? Did he have an organic family out there somewhere, missing him as much as Rose missed her? Slowly, she put her arms around Rose. It's okay, Mother. I'm here now. It was strange to touch, to feel Rose sigh against her chest, with nothing connecting them but the warmth of their organic bodies. We have to try harder, Sinet. It's been so long. Sinet curled tighter under the covers, cradling the tablet close enough to her face that she could see the individual pixels that made up the words he sent. Time moved too quickly in the arc for visual or verbal messaging. She didn't know if Joran was frustrated or angry. He was certainly lonely. You should consider the possibility that I can't come back. You should think about finding someone else. I would have better luck removing a leg and attaching a new one in its place. Can you imagine? I'd be all uneven. The screen was blank for a moment. He would be towing ships down the filaments between galaxies, only a small part of himself devoted to their conversation. Do you want to stay? No, she answered immediately. Of course not. For the first time, she found herself wondering what his face would look like when they talked. Would he be handsome like the transport driver who had taken them to the store this morning? Stoop-shouldered and short like their neighbor? Would his expressions show the depth of his feelings like Rose's did? Or be blank and remote like her own reflection in the bathroom mirror? Then help me think. You haven't been online much lately. There's been a lot going on. Guilt squirmed in her stomach. She'd been distracted by life with Rose. It was so much richer than she ever imagined possible. Go or stay, Sinet. Don't leave me wondering if I'm the only one who wants you back. He was angry. Don't be stupid. The words were sent before she thought about it. Wait, Joran, I'm sorry. She sent quickly, knowing he would have already had the equivalent of days or years to think about her hurtful words. She had the near-constant company of someone who loved her, while he waited out there in the darkness, searching for a way to bring her home. Do you 
think Central's been completely honest with us? No. His answer came quickly. How do you know? It was news to her. They told me you had died. Heart failure from an energy surge. That didn't seem to match what I felt from you when you dropped out, so I kept looking. Would you leave if you could? They could all live with Rose, all three of them together. I don't want to leave, Sinet. Everywhere has its problems. I would rather live with Central's screw-ups than your mother's. Central never risked your life because they were lonely. It's not that simple, she shot back. Central risks lives, ends lives, for a bridge to the stars. Is that a better reason? And even if it is, does that absolve them of what they did? Of course not, but your mother isn't exactly blameless. She could imagine his energy patterns fluttering as he thought through what he wanted to say. Whatever Central has done, I love this life. Navigating is so much more than just Central. You can't tell me you don't miss being the best there is. I know you miss us. The idea of ripping him away from the stars and confining him to one path and one time hurt her more than never seeing him again. He had the other navigators with him, closer than skin, knowing each other's minds without words. I do, she wrote at last. But I'm not who I was. Neither am I. Story of the universe there, love. At least she wasn't alone in her frustration. Sunette, I don't want you to come back just because I want you with me. If you choose this path, it has to be because you want to be here. Flying through the galaxies together seemed like another life. It didn't matter what she chose in the end if her broken body couldn't be fixed. She was grounded unless they could do that one impossible thing. Her thoughts tangled and opened up, as though catching on a new filament. The idea at the end of that new path nearly took her breath away. If she wanted to go back to space, her broken organic form had to be taken out of the equation. If she could find a different, separate anchor, her self, mind and energy, could fly. She took a breath and let it out slowly, searching for calm. It was too much to decide all at once. There were things to do and see here that rivaled navigating through the universe. I'll keep looking for a way back, she typed. So we have options. It was all she could give him right now. Falling leaves spun through the air around them as they raced each other down the path. Sinette's thighs burned and the fall air bit brightly at her lungs. Cool stones slid under her fingers as she threw herself onto the bench a fraction of a second before Rose. Her body was getting stronger. Rose collapsed beside her, and they sat in silence, panting. I used to play in this park with my mother. Rose sat close beside her. Sinette caught one of the blowing leaves and twirled it between her fingers. The veins traced the leaves' surface like filaments through space, branching and rebranching, bringing energy to every part of the delicately interwoven system. She pinched the stem hard enough to feel the fibrous material deform. Rose caught her hand. The leaf fluttered to the ground. Rose smiled wryly. Your father loved it here, too. Do I look like him? Sinette turned her hand over in Rose's and twined their fingers together. She had stared at the mirror for hours, looking for signs of Rose in her thin face and stick-straight hair. It didn't match. 
Rosa's shoulders tensed and her face closed down. Not exactly. What's wrong? It's just, the people I hired to get you out had to guess. There wasn't much time and the files were heavily encrypted. Rose tipped her face up toward the swirling leaves. Sinette stared at her. There were 17 other female navigators, four of whom were in her approximate age range. A hot dart of disappointment surprised her. From Rose's reaction, the disparity in their appearances likely couldn't be attributed to her father, which meant the odds that Rose's associates had gotten the right girl were low, if there was even a right girl to get. Do you even know if she lived? Sinette asked, voice shaking. It doesn't matter. Rose pulled Sinette tight against her chest. You're my daughter now. Sinette felt numb. She could have a DNA test run simply enough, but it seemed entirely too late for that. She bit her lip until she tasted blood. She pulled back, staring at Rose's now familiar face. Why didn't you tell me? You wouldn't have given me a chance. Rose raised her chin, mouth tight. Would you have? I don't know. Sinette thought it was the idea of mother that had drawn her out in the beginning. The idea that she had come from this woman had mattered to her. She didn't know how she would have reacted to the truth if Rose had been honest about it from the start. And now they would never know. You wouldn't have, Rose said firmly, cupping Sinette's face between her hands. And look at what we would have missed out on. You're everything I could have wanted, Sinette. I love you. Sinette said nothing. She couldn't find any trace of remorse in the other woman's face. This doesn't have to change anything, Rose said softly. There was the barest tremble in her voice. It sounded like fear. Biology doesn't make the things we've shared any less real. Will you at least try to forgive me, please? Sinette wasn't sure she wanted to. Her mother didn't seem to understand what Sinette was giving up for Rose's dream of a daughter. The trust and respect of her comrades. The beauty and the wonder of space travel. Joran, who had never lied to her. But Rose had showed her what it meant to live a human life. She would have lived forever without knowing about parks and paintings, about cooking and cars, about the loving touch of another organic being. Slowly, Zanette nodded. She could see how lonely Rose must have been before, as lonely as Sinette was without the other navigators. She knew the wild, desperate need for connection that drove a person to the limits of sanity. Something else Rose's actions had taught her. Perhaps forgiveness could come from that understanding. Sinette smiled to herself as she read Joran's latest message. He had found the schematic she had asked for. Combined with the mind transmission program she nearly finished, they were very close to a real answer. If she wanted back into the Ark, she would miss Rose. But there was nothing that said she couldn't chat like she and Joran did now. What are you so happy about? Rose asked from the doorway. Zanette jumped, slamming off the switch and flipping the tablet over. After Rose's initial outburst, she had made sure not to talk to Joran when her mother was around. You're talking to him again. Rose's face was dark with confusion and anger. It's been eight months. I thought you were doing better. Sinette clutched the tablet to her chest. One moment, all she wanted was to go home. The next, she couldn't imagine leaving. Rose yanked the tablet out of Sinette's hands. 
You can't keep doing this. I won't have him feeding whatever lies he can think of to drag you back. Please, mother. Sinet reached for it. He isn't feeding me anything. No. Rose tucked the tablet more securely under her arm. You can't go back. I won't have it. Sinet's eyes burned. She touched them gently. Her fingers came away wet. What if it's still the life I want? We nearly killed you getting you out. Even if Central Nav would let you try, you have no way to connect to the Ark. Tying you in with faulty circuitry would kill you. Rose turned away from her, shoulders tight. I need you, Sinet. You're all I have. What will I do if I stay here? Living in her organic body so long had been educational, but after Rose's confession, it felt a little empty. She didn't blame Rose for her actions, but the trust they had been building hadn't returned. Without it, Sinet found herself drifting more and more often in memories of colors and textures that didn't exist in Rose's world. Do, Rose shrugged. We can keep doing what we've been doing. I have resources. You don't need to work. What if I want to? A life with nothing to do sounded terrible. She needed something more to hold her here. I suppose we could find you something. But really, darling, people work their whole lives just so they don't have to anymore. Wouldn't it be better if you just stayed with me? I'll take care of you. We'll have fun, just the two of us. I want to do something. Physics and navigation, quantum mechanics and computer programming. Her brain was rotting away with the amount of nothing it was doing these days. You need a hobby, Rose said firmly. Maybe something artistic. You liked the paintings at the museum the other day, didn't you? You would probably make a wonderful painter with your attention to detail. Rose smiled again. What do you say? Want to try it? For a moment, Sinet was caught up in the idea. She had liked the paintings. The swirling colors and textures had looked like home. She nodded slowly. Maybe she could bring those things down to earth. She met Rose's nearly feverish eyes and saw abruptly how it would be. Rose would never stop wanting Sinet to fill the holes in her own life. She would be Rose's beloved daughter, cooking and running in the park and painting memories. Nothing more. Sinet the Navigator would be gone. The stars would be nothing more than pinpricks of light in the sky. The lesson she had learned wouldn't matter to anyone. Sinet stood on the roof, watching the stream of transport vehicles flowing along in neatly ordered lines. The air was damp and chill. Somewhere above the clouds, the stars burned. If everything worked out, she would be seeing them properly soon. Strand by strand, she had woven her machine together, waiting until Rose was out and only using things her mother wasn't likely to miss. Her fingers had been slow and clumsy at first, but she had learned. Thought was energy, relayed in highly complex but traceable patterns. Sinette was hoping it would be enough. Uploading her mind into the quantum arc would leave her body unable to function, for all organic purposes, she would be dead. Energy transfer wasn't hard, really, even on the scale she wanted. She just needed to pass her brain function along directly into the NAV network. The program she had written should be enough to maintain her integrity through the transfer. She settled onto the ground, beginning to connect wires to the improvised transmitters she had threaded into her remaining cybernetics. Even if this worked, she would never guide ships again. But she would be with Jorn and the others. She would fly through the universe. She logged into the central nav system and pulled up her program. 
Her trembling fingers hovered over the start command. If it didn't work, her mind would die with her organic body. There would be nothing left of her. Sinet pushed the button. The world faded into darkness and silence. Time slowed. Familiar flickers of energy caught and carried her as galaxies spun past. Sinet! A door slammed and Rose's scream cut through the dark. Where had she come from? Sinet's lungs forgot how to drag in air. Karina was in front of her eyes and Orion, too. She couldn't find herself. Her mind slackened, beginning to scatter across the universe. Too late, she realized it wasn't enough. There was nothing to hold her together without her organic components to provide the framework. Then Jorn was there. He pulled her into himself. Their energy tangled together until they were no longer two separate beings. No matter how many eternities had separated them, he was still there to catch her. Their fear fell away as though it had never existed. Together, one, they turned towards the universe. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Don't get copyright is Kate. Kate, thank you so much for that. That's really kind of you. Thank you very much indeed. And Jen, oh, the words sing from you. Man, thank you so much. Great. Great narration. Thank you so much. So, we're going to go on to our very own Amy H. Sturgis. Hello, my friends. It is time for another look back into genre history. A number of documentaries came out in 2016 related to genre history, and today I would like to focus on those that came out dealing with either the 50th anniversary of Star Trek or the upcoming 40th anniversary of Star Wars, which is this year, 2017. And that gives us a number of documentaries to talk about. And so I thought I would just give you a rundown of those films and my thoughts on them and suggest some to check out and some to avoid. Now, let's start with Star Trek. Star Trek had, I think, a, quite a poor showing overall, considering that it was the 50th anniversary of Star Trek in 2016. I think disservice was done to the franchise in a lot of ways, particularly considering the sterling example of Doctor Who and the 50th anniversary celebration surrounding Doctor Who in 2013, which brought just an embarrassment of riches in terms of books and documentaries and all sorts of celebratory materials, well, Star Trek did not get the similar treatment. And that's also unfortunate because last year there were two new ventures to promote, namely the film Star Trek Beyond and the television series In the Making, Star Trek Discovery. 
So, at any rate, disappointing. And the first documentary I will mention is also disappointing. It was 50 Years of Star Trek, as seen on the History Channel. It's now available on DVD. I saw it when it played originally on the History Channel last year. It definitely went where every other Star Trek interview or documentary television special has gone before. It didn't really add anything new, and it was overall a, quite a shoddy production. The background music pretty much drowned out everything that was happening in the documentary. The, the interviews were not integrated well in the narrative, and all of the Star Trek series weren't given weight the creator sort of forgot a couple of series in there, particularly Deep Space Nine. And there were some pointless roundtables taking up time where various celebrities who didn't necessarily have anything to do with Star Trek were just asked about their favorite series or episode or character or such. And they some were so poorly prepped for this that they couldn't even think of the episode name and had to describe it as that one in which blah, blah, blah. And, of course, I, I don't care <laughs> particular celebrity pull off the street uh, what his or her favorite whatever is. Uh, I, I wanted in new information, and there was none there. And it seems that a lot of people agreed with me. So, at any rate, it's out there, 50 years of Star Trek, but you could do much, much better if you want to celebrate the 50th anniversary in your own way. But never fear, there was a good Star Trek documentary that came out in 2016, and it was called For the Love of Spock. I accessed this one via Netflix. It is produced by 455 Films and directed by Adam Nimoy, the son of Leonard Nimoy. And it is, in a way, several different things at once. It's a look at the life and career of actor Leonard Nimoy, it is a study of the enduring significance and universal appeal of the character of Spock. It's also a study of Star Trek fandom and its relationship and interrelationship with the creation process of Star Trek. And it's also a very intimate story of a father-son relationship. And really, all of these things are done very well. It's quite a poignant film. It includes interviews with cast and crew and people connected with Star Trek, fans at conventions, personal memories, personal photos and films. In short, it's rich and dense with materials that are exclusive to this documentary. You can't find anywhere else. Odie Henderson from RogerEbert.com has said that For the Love of Spock is more than just catnip for Trekkies. Oh, ow. <laughs> Incredibly condescending. It's also an often painful examination of the rocky father-son relationship that existed between filmmaker Adam Nimoy and his famous father, Leonard. And that is true, and it's, fortunately it has a, a happy ending. And unfortunately, of course, this came out after the death of Leonard Nimoy. But in a way, it's a very fitting punctuation point at the end of, of Nimoy's life. And the coming full circle nature of the documentary, telling the story through the family and through the Star Trek experience, it works very, very well. 
Sarah Lewin of Space dot com said that quote, the documentary explores the fans' love both as a destabilizing force in Adam Nimoy's life and as a powerful statement of the character's universality. Indeed, besides Spock and Nimoy himself, the fans are the third main character in the film, and I think that's very well put and spot on. Ultimately, you see. Leonard Nimoy portrayed as a flawed individual, as we all are, but an individual very much worthy of our appreciation and respect and affection, which of course anyone who loves Star Trek has. And then there's also the sense that Nimoy came full circle in his understanding of who Spock was, why Spock was important, and. The role Spock played in his own life, and that's also played really well, showing the passing of the torch to Zachary Quinto, who's also interviewed in the documentary.、Uh, this one has been around、uh, long enough and gotten enough currency that there are some ratings on it. The film currently holds a 100% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 74% positive rating on Metacritic. So, if you're looking for a documentary on the history of Star Trek from last year, skip Fifty Years of Star Trek and watch For the Love of Spock instead. Well, that's my recommendation, at least. Now, let's look at some of the documentaries that came out this past year on Star Wars. The first is called "I Am Your Father." Now, technically, this was released in 2015, but that was in Spain. International release came in 2016 via Netflix. "I Am Your Father" is a Spanish documentary film written and directed by Marcos Cabota and Tony Bestard, and the film is about David Prowse. And the many years he has spent in the shadow of the suit that he filled—that is, Darth Vader—he was the body of Darth Vader in the first original three Star Wars films, whereas James Earl Jones, of course, was Vader's voice, and Sebastian Shaw lent Vader his human face in the final death scenes in Return of the Jedi. He was also blue, ghosty. Dead Anakin Skywalker before he got replaced by Hayden Christensen through the power of CGI. Right. So this is a sort of weird documentary, to be honest. And I was fascinated and then a bit uncomfortable as I watched it. The main writer and director, Marcos Cabota, is clearly a huge David Prowse fan, and rather than just seeking to document Prowse's Rocky relationship with Star Wars, as you may know, Prowse does not do official Lucasfilm conventions. He's not welcome there, and there have been some bad feelings on both sides of that equation. But the filmmaker instead frames this as a kind of redemption justice story, in the sense that he argues that the ill will with Lucasfilm. Is completely Lucasfilm's fault, first of all, and secondly, that David Prowse was robbed of the opportunity to be the face of Vader in those final scenes in Return of the Jedi, and so the film culminates in the filming of that scene again, this time with David Prowse doing those lines. And 
it seems to me it's, it starts from some really shaky premises. He claims in the documentary to prove that some of the leaked secrets blamed on Prowse weren't Prowse's fault uh, in terms of plot secrets in the original trilogy, and so thus he's clearing Prowse's name. But it's very clear in the documentary that Prowse is a prickly character, and he took a lot of things personally that perhaps weren't personal, and that there might be a whole lot of other reasons why Prowse's relationship with Lucasfilm has been quite cool. And there's also very clear that he was happy to speculate, even when asked not to, about the future of characters and the future of plot developments. That doesn't equate with leaking secrets, just speculating, but he was speculating in ways that Lucasfilm didn't want him to do. And he's also proven very hostile to later Darth Vader incarnations, and that's also unfortunate. So first, I don't think the filmmaker makes the point he was trying to make, which is, it's all Lucasfilm's fault. And secondly, I don't buy the idea that David Prowse was robbed of the opportunity to be the face of Vader in those final scenes, because he wasn't an actor. He was not trained in the way Sebastian Shaw was. I understand they had a really strong motivation to make those scenes as powerful as possible. And so they chose a, a very well-trained and respected actor to, to bring those scenes to life, and that those scenes were never promised to Prowse. So it seems that is a bit weird, too. Uh, but it is certainly worth watching, particularly if you're interested in hearing the other side of the story beyond stories we've heard before about the making of the Star Wars films. Overall, though, you're not missing much if you want to skip this one. The next documentary that I'd like to mention is Elstree 1976. I accessed this through Amazon. It explores the lives of the actors and extras behind, uh, of course, one of the most celebrated franchises in cinematic history. And they go from, actually, David Prowse, he's part of this film as well, to lots of others. Uh, Jeremy Bullock, probably the other best-known actor there for portraying Boba Fett in the original trilogy, to actors who portrayed characters who really were in the background, and in one case, cut completely from the film. It looks at the community that these individuals have created and how the Star Wars franchise continues to affect them, even though their roles were so incredibly small. And in some cases, we never actually saw these actors' faces on screen. It is fascinating for the stories of how these actors got these parts, and then how they experienced the shooting of Star Wars. And I enjoyed it. Um, it's also kind of interesting the ambivalence some of them have toward the franchise or toward their own stardom for such small roles. I think if you're very interested in Star Wars, though, it's quite worth watching. Richard Roper at the Chicago Sun-Times called it a sweet, quietly funny, fascinating, and contemplative study of ten character actors and extras, none of whom had any idea back in the 1970s they'd forever be defined by the one or two days they spent on the set of a sci-fi movie, end quote. Chris Nashawadi at Entertainment Weekly agrees that it isn't 
an essential movie, unless you're a completist or obsessive, but, quote, it's a film about the strange hand of fate, the wages of dumb luck, and the flip side of fame life on the D-list, end quote. And in that sense, I think that's quite true that it's also speaking to something different than or separate from Star Wars, and that is a kind of larger meta comment on how just a few moments, just a day or two can change a person's life and the relationship of people to what they create. If you're looking for the stats on that, it has a 78% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, although the audience rating was 36%, so your mileage may vary there. And it also had a 66% Metascore on Metacritic. I suspect that part of the reason for a difference in opinion on this is that it is not completely Star Wars-centric. It is about how these people's lives were changed by their relationship to Star Wars, but it's much more an intimate portrait of their stories. I still found it to be useful and interesting and well worth watching, even if it's not at the top of my list. And that brings us to my last recommendation, and that is the prequels Strike Back, which I accessed on DVD. The prequels Strike Back, a fan's journey, is a documentary by Bradley Weatherholt, about the prequels of Star Wars, and it includes all sorts of interviews. Film director Kevin Smith, actor Christian Simpson, music journalist Doug Adams, founding curator of the Joseph Campbell Archives, Dr. Jonathan Young. It was crowdfunded, it had a modest budget, and it was originally released digitally, although there was later a theatrical premiere in October 2016. And the idea is that there are some really important things in the prequel films. It's an answer, essentially, to the prequel haters and an invitation to look more closely at the prequels. I am not a prequel hater. While the prequels disappointed me deeply in certain ways, they also are quite worthwhile in other ways. And I encourage my students uh, to take them seriously. And I was glad to see a documentary that really delved into some of the big ideas of the prequels. So it is a nice corrective to just knee-jerk hating there. It would be interesting to watch directly after watching The People vs. George Lucas, which is a 2010 documentary uh, by Swiss director Alexander Philippe. It attacks, essentially, George Lucas for the prequels, and I think the prequel Strike Back is a nice answer to that and is in some ways in dialogue with that documentary. It's very much worth watching. Now, I will admit also that there are some other great places you can go for serious looks at the prequels. One of the places that is a starting point for my students is The Star Wars Heresies, a book by Paul F. MacDonald on interpreting the themes and symbols and philosophies of episodes one through three. And this documentary does not beat that in terms of exploration, but it is a good starting place. And I would also suggest uh, the Star Wars Ring Theory website, which is just StarWarsRingTheory.com. Even if you're not completely convinced by the analysis there, it is at least good fodder for more pondering. It deals with 
the idea that Lucas used a ring composition format of storytelling to make the original and prequel trilogies speak to each other. The prequel Strike Back is also a fan's journey, and so you follow said fan as he delves deeper and deeper into the prequels. And so in that sense, it's also a nice fan journey film, and I appreciate that as well. So to recap, I have talked about the prequels Strike Back, A Fan's Journey, Elstree, 1976, I Am Your Father, For the Love of Spock, and 50 Years of Star Trek. If you see any of those, I would be interested to know what you think about how each of them treats genre history. And now, as I close, I would just like to say thank you to all of you for the community that has grown up around, the family that's grown up around Starship Sofa. We got through 2016, there for a while I wasn't sure we were going to make it, and while 17 seems determined to outdo 2016, we are living in challenging times, and I just want to express my appreciation for the international, inclusive, and mutually supportive group of Sophonauts that we have here around the podcast. We are just a few days shy here, as I record, of the 280th birthday of Thomas Paine, an English-American political activist, philosopher, political theorist, and revolutionary who was a key figure in the American Revolution, the French Revolution, and many other political movements since then. And I just want to end on one of his quotes that I am holding very dear right now, and that is, The world is my country, all mankind are my brethren, and to do good is my religion. And with that, I say thank you, friends, for your time and attention, and I look forward to joining you again soon with another look back on genre history. Thank you. There you go, Amy. Thank you so much. And... You know, Amy put it put it very nicely and very very eloquently. Do you know? It just can strange times indeed. And forgive us if I'm going to kind of go off on a little rant, and I kind of normally don't, and it might send some away from District of Wonders. But what's fucking going on over there, man? You know, the kind of when I seen Trump, I was thinking, you know, come on, America, the greatest country in the world. There, you know, and. You get two politicians, and this is what, you know, it ends up down to. You pick, and, you know, you, you pick one of them, and you pick, you know, you pick Trump. I'm not blaming anybody. It's just like, but the man is a fucking idiot, man. Do you know what I mean? And I'd, it's just, it's getting to the point now where it's like, oh, God, this is really, really, in, just in my view, this, this is really serious. Do you know what I mean? Why ban countries? What is that going to do? Do you know what I mean? It's just like, you're kidding. And we're hearing, you know, and this has such many, like, repercussions of, of around the world, you know. We've got families split up now, stuck in airports, different airports. You know, there's a vet stuck in South America, went on holiday, works in Glasgow, can't get back now because she was born in Iran. Yeah, man, what is the point of that? What is the point of, like, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, Sudan, Somalia, and Libya? They're the countries that want the fucking help, man. Do you know what I mean? They're the countries that are crying out for the help. It's the people in there that are getting all the fucking shit thrown at them. And this wanker, this wanker is bloody 
Do it, you know what I mean? Protect them. And look at straight away, look what happens. Canada, the horrible things that's happened in Canada. Do you know what I mean? You had a you know, white supremacist that was on the doorstep. Banning countries isn't stop, is keeping these guys in, man. You have to just have the better security. You know, so is Trump going to now ban Canada? You know what I mean? Is there a fact? Because there's terrorists there. What about Norway? We've got that joker sitting there that killed 77 bloody innocent people. Do you know what I mean? He's still alive today doing Nazi salutes. Man, it's on your doorstep. Do you know what I mean? Banning countries, banning flights. Stupid, hideous, pathetic answer to the kind of a world problem that we've got to get together and sort out. This isn't helping. Oh, for fuck's sake, man. It's just winding me up so much that this man is just knocking everything down that's possible. I like to think District of Wonders and Starships over, you know what I mean? We rejoice in the kind of richness of diversity. Do you know what I mean? The one thing about this podcast is there is no wars, there is no barriers, there's no fucking guns, there's no hatred. Do you know what I mean? We always, always strive for equality. What's he doing? Do you know what I mean? Is it just like, this is the worst possible outcome that could have happened. Put a wall up between Mexico. You know what I mean? Really, honestly, really. People now have got to start thinking, oh, you know, not say holding hands up and, you know, I'm to blame, I voted for him, but thinking, okay, this isn't right. Do you know what I mean? You know, families, to split them up. And like I say, this is... Star, at least in Starship Sova, there is no walls, there is no barriers. Do you know what I mean? We want to again, embrace all cultures, all races, all religions. You know what I mean? Bring it closer together, not further apart. Fucking hell, man. But, and this is, this is a big but. Trump's a clever, m- <laughs> he's a clever, clever guy. Here, I've read this on Facebook and you never know. Do you know what I mean? Basically, he's come up with this, you know, it's a 90-day thing. And, you know, it, hopefully it, it's gone after 90 days. But it's causing such uproar. Do you know what I mean? Look at him. Stay there, you know, what the fucking hell's going on? And it's sleight of hand. There's something else that he's planning that he's going to try and sneak in the back door when everyone's ranting and raving about this. He's done this to purely, purely make you all... Take your eye off the main goal. Now, what is that main goal? I don't know. But it's certainly got got everyone in a flap there. And all I'm bothered about is, you know, bring people together, not, you know, separate them by walls or barriers. And it's not the way to go on. It's certainly not the way Starship Sofa is going to go on or the District of Wonders. Like I mentioned just a second ago there, we embrace all cultures. And honestly, it's got us like... To the point, what can I, my little, little world, and I want to just, I think I'm going to try and get out, do a little anthology and put out a little Kickstarter and see if we can get some great stories from around the world, you know what I mean, just through the internet we can still contact people and there's there's no walls, there's no barriers and that might be a, a, a one little thing I can do, do you know what I mean? It is a strange, strange time. The world is my country. All mankind are my brethren, and to do good is my religion. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network, dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, 
www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Get out there by and by.